Hello and welcome to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast, a show about life adversity, how to overcome it and transform your life. This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And even though my hope is to deliver information that can be helpful for you to overcome adversity and transform your life, it is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professional. Season 1, Episode 5. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we'll talk about one of the subjects I'm currently passionate about, which is reparenting ourselves after experiencing trauma. In this episode, we'll have an amazing guest, Lisette Toscano. Lisette has a master's in social work and is currently acquiring her hours for licensure as a psychotherapist. She and her business partner, Leslie Priscilla Ariola Hillenbrand, founded Latinx Parenting. You guys, this is one of my current favorite IG accounts. Go check it out. It's amazing and it has always so many resources and many eye-opening posts about parenting. In today's episode, we're going to introduce the topic of how our early childhood traumas can impact our present lives, our parenting, about the nonviolent communication, and how to apply some of these principles into parenting and reparenting ourselves. So without any further ado, I just want to let you guys be prepared for this amazing podcast episode. Latinx Parenting is one of my favorite IG accounts and I get so inspired because I do have a almost four-year-old and it's very mm. challenging. So I, I get very inspired, especially because like you guys have heard, a lot of my own stuff was after becoming a mom. That's when I discovered a lot of things. So Lisette, without any further ado, let's have you in. I'm so happy and I'm so excited. Thank you for saying yes. And I know, Leslie, I wish you a happy birth. Perhaps when this episode comes out, you might already have your little one with you. So I wish you amazing birth and a happy and healthy healing. Yeah, yeah me too. So Latinx Parenting is two of us. And it's my partner, Leslie, and myself. And I'm missing her right now, but also just want to share how beautiful it is that she's showing an example of self-care and getting ready for birthing her, her wonderful baby. Yes, yes, yeah. very important. Yes, yeah, so Lisette, if you can tell us a little bit more about you, your degree, if you have your profession, your specializations. Yeah, so I have a master's in social work and currently occurring my hours for licensure. Sort of my specializations or areas of focus have been early childhood. So I've worked with early head starts, and doing that as an in-home counselor. Did a lot of that work, prenatal work as well. So working with a lot of mamas before giving birth or during the early stages of pregnancy. And I've also worked, you know, being a social worker, I've bounced around a lot. <laughs> I uh, did a lot of work in domestic violence shelters, intimate partner violence shelters, as well as community-based programs or organizations and schools. And I started with Latinx parenting through obviously met Leslie and we both had um, a similar vision around supporting parents, specifically Latinx parents around the resources and cultural pieces that come into play when we are parenting. And so outside of being a social worker, I'm also a parent educator, a certified trauma-informed nonviolent parent educator. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing here with Latinx parenting is being able to provide parent education with a cultural lens. Yeah, super, super important. When I was studying and obtaining my licensure hours, mm -hmm. I did take training from, she is either the creator or founder of the Echo Parenting Center. 
Ruth? Yes. I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, oh my God, 10 years ago. Uh-huh. I remember during that time we were being trained on IPT, which is that I don't even know what it stands for, but uh-huh. IPT is way more kind of behavioral, kind of like less change yeah. behavior, not necessarily take into consideration that other aspect. And it was at the end. And then Ruth came and gave us that training and we were all like blown away. We we're like, we were giving Head Start consultations based on this very behavioral model. I wish we would have known this yeah. other one. And it was just one of those trainings because I did take many that I forever remember. And I use the eco-parenting tools that I remember, like I with most of my clients, the need and all those kind of things. So it's so, so helpful. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear that you were able to witness and see Ruth in action. I think she has a lot of ways and beautiful ways of introducing different paradigms, but also frames of work to support children. Yeah. 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 And what continues to inspire you in your, in your work? Because doing home base, I did that too. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it was hard. I think right now, growing with Latinx parenting has been really great. I mean, we're now offering individual parent coaching sessions and I think what inspires me is the response from not only our followers, but the parents that we work with Mm -hmm. and seeing how passionate they are around this new paradigm or way of parenting or nonviolent parenting. And more than anything, I think my son and my son really drives me forward in trying to change our communities and start healing specifically for men, I think. And now that I have a son around creating space and seeing other men create space for creating emotional intelligence and allowing for that to happen. Yes. And a little bit later, you're going to share a little bit where people can find you and all that information. But yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. know you guys did that individual coaching is so important. Yes, we do a parenting series and also just started individual parent coaching. So yes, excited to share some more about that. Yeah. You know what? Why don't we just share right now where yeah. people can find you since we're talking about it? Oh, I like that. Yes, yeah. and you can find us on IG or Instagram through Latinx Parenting. We also have a Facebook, Latinx Parenting, and we have a website, latinxparenting.org. And on there, you can click on either email us or if you're in IG or Facebook, DM us and with any questions regarding you know, any needs around parenting or if you're interested in individual parent coaching, we can definitely support that. And probably some of the listeners might wonder, do you guys do that individual coaching also via telehealth or like online or? Yes, that's a great question. We're doing it over Zoom. So we're giving two options, Zoom and I'm covering the Whittier sort of downy area and home. The hope is also that in the future, once Leslie returns, that that'll be also offered in Santa Ana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I'll put that also in the show notes. So if people have any questions. Okay. Thank you. So now let's go to the, I always get confused with that word with the nitty gritty. <laughs> but how do you define early childhood trauma? Yeah, that's a big question. I and know. I think <laughs> the way I see early childhood trauma, the way that I've begun to define it is anything that refers to experiences that have occurred to children from ages from, I would say, even zero to five and experiences that have been emotionally painful and have been overwhelming for them to cope. And that's really where I feel the definition encompasses a lot of, you know, experiences. So that can be, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, domestic violence, Natural disasters, immigration can be a a part of early childhood trauma, psychological abuse, 
um, accidents, war, all of those that can really take a change in neural pathways and the neural pathways of a child or the, the rechange the brain for a child. Yeah, and lately I've been a little more conscious when I use the word trauma because a lot of people mm-hmm. go like, oh, that sounds like a big thing. And people kind yeah. of big tease. But can you talk us a little bit more about some of the little subtleties that some people can experience trauma symptoms or? Yeah, so that can even be a change in a separation. So if there was a sudden separation or a change in schedule, (laughs) I mean, those are the subtle examples that come up for me right now. You know, sometimes a parent going to work and has been staying home, that can be a shift for them. But new situations, if we can think about new situations, See, we adults and children can manage a certain level of stress, right? And that's the way I define it. Is like, and so a, li- a certain level of stress is manageable in terms of like these small T's like you mentioned, right? Like the changes, new situations or changes of schedule. Those are for me subtleties and shifts mm-hmm. and they can really overcome that. Now that when stress becomes toxic is when it's come over time, right? So when there is no emotional holding or emotional coaching or support by a caregiver is when those big T's happen. Yeah. I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense. No, it, it makes completely sense. And I know this episode is, is more about for adults or us listeners to kind of how can we repair. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my God, I went through a lot of changes. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only I experienced like this kind of more big T's, but there was a lot of these things. And I think the important part of this is just to know that we're going to get into some of the resources and things to do in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So how does it impact later on in life when people experience early childhood trauma? I know that's a big question too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but an important question because sometimes I think we, I hear a lot of parents say, but I turned out fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. But did we really? Um, is really the question. Did we really, when we are still having laws against spanking children right. or we are still sort of not justifying the, justifying the hitting that we've experienced? So I think that what happens for us later as adults really lies in the ability to attach in our future relationships. So a lot of our relationships, whether if we were, if we didn't have a close relationship or secure relationship with our caregivers, we then have a difficult time understanding emotions and developing a sense of self, I think, and attachment to whether that be platonic relationships or other relationships in our life. And the biggest piece also is like physical health. We think about a lot of diseases. Every time I think about trauma or like these, these experiences that we've had, I think about our brain, about how we live in certain levels of stress and become used to those levels of stress as we move on into adulthood. So that's also another piece. Stomach aches is something really common when I work with adults in therapy. Digestive problems have also been apparent. Mm-hmm. So that's also something that I, I think is really important to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I like to kind of break some of these terms because like attachment from a therapist perspective, we kind of understand it. But from the general yeah. listener, is there a way you can give a little example, not example, but kind of any other wording to explain? Because people might go like, what is an attachment? I have a partner and we're kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good question too. <laughs> I think it's just the, the capacity or the ability to be in connection 
and in relationship. When we have attachment to something in our relationships, we're able to develop healthy, supportive boundaries, and we're able to have, be able to hold our feelings and their feelings. So I think when I think about attachment, it's just the capacity and the ability to be able to be in connection and, and hold empathy in that. I don't know if that's... Yeah, no, I a, think it's <laughs> a very good way of, of explaining it, yes. And many people, they complain about the partners that doesn't listen to them or does not understand them or they cannot experience empathy. And those are the things that you were kind of describing, some examples of what would it be that there might be some attachment issues. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I definitely will come up around relationships, partners, you know, they're not listening to me, they're not hearing, they're dismissive or fearful. And so that definitely is to add to that. Yeah. And what is the, again, a big question, <laughs> the nonviolent? communication like paradigm or yeah yeah so so nonviolent communication is derived from Marshall Rosenberg and he has developed a center called the Center for Nonviolent Communication and it's based on principles of nonviolence and just a natural state of compassion when no violence is present in the heart so the biggest piece about nonviolent communication is that it assumes that we're all compassionate by nature so it assumes best of intentions um, and that sort of violent strategies or strategies that are not the best strategies, whether they're verbal or physical, are learned behaviors that we're taught versus really who they are as a person. So it also, nonviolent communication talks about basic human needs and that we all have them and that our behavior is a strategy to meet one of those needs. And so how that has transpired into parenting yeah. is really moving beyond the looking at the behavior and looking at what's the feelings, what's the needs for my child in this moment and being really curious around what's happening and nurturing a child's self-esteem, autonomy, and emotional growth through that. Hmm. Yeah. And now what if, you know, it's that whole aspect of the reparenting. So let's say, uh -huh. and I'm, you know, I can share a little bit of me and I did notice when I had my son, I went into like this little black hole or I was about to, I always felt like I was about to and would like snap out of it. But later on, I kind of put a lot of dots together that my mm -hmm. mom experienced some stuff herself. And mm -hmm. when she was a newborn, she had a illness and she almost died. So no wonder that when I was born, there was some little bit issues. And then no wonder when my son was born, I was carrying all those kind of things. Oh, wow. And yeah. And and that aspect of the reparenting, how I did it was that I started looking for, I did seek help. And mm -hmm. for like the first two years of my son, almost like on a weekly, and then we kind of did like every two weeks on a monthly basis. But, and he was in home, which it was so helpful. And the ways that I kind of think of when I think of reparenting, I like to go into the off need sheet from the Echo Parent yeah. in terms of how I can also show compassion to myself. And when I'm experiencing things and how I can have that different word, voice inside to kind of reparent like in that moment. And that's just one example of my own journey with it. And I'm still in it because <laughs> toddler is interesting. But <laughs> I wanted to really like pick your brain and like if you have any ways that people can have like a strategy or a way to go when they 
thinking of, oh my God, I went through a lot. And now how can I, that idea of reparenting, how can they change that inner voice or change some of the patterns and behavior because they don't want to pass it on to their next generations? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful question. And thank you so much for sharing with me, like your experience around that. I think that it resonated when I had my son. I think that's when a lot of the reparenting began to happen. Yes. Yeah. So what I want to share first is that sometimes I think we talk about, and I want to also do this, is I talk a lot about reparenting the inner child. And I had a parent who said, I don't like you to tell me like that's little me or inner child. And I thought that that was such a powerful statement because it's like we're wanting to feel empowered and also gain our power back through reparenting ourselves. So I think that's something that we talk about in our classes is understanding our childhood experience. So that doesn't mean that we go through every single detail of our childhood trauma, but really it begins as a self-reflection practice. And what does that mean by self-reflection? It means being able to ask questions like, why did that happen? Or how did that happen? How did that make me feel? And sometimes we can't even begin to think about what, how did that make me feel? So it's even learning a new language around emotional intelligence or an emotional vocabulary to have to put to those experiences. I think this is so important because I'm listening. It's like the first is the awareness and yeah. then kind of like even the awareness of not only what happened, but how they, they, that made them feel. Mm-hmm. And you brought up that super important fact that I see a lot with my clients when they experience early childhood trauma, they usually have difficulties tapping into the emotion about it or even making sense. Yeah. So I think that's so important. Yeah. It could be really hard and you're not alone in that. I think sometimes we can feel alone and like, I don't have the feelings. I don't know how to talk about the feelings. And outside of the feelings, what I also tell parents is to get comfortable with where you experienced the trauma or where you experienced the feelings. So for example, like if we can identify anger what is it? How do you feel when you're angry? What parts of your body do you recognize the feelings are arising from? That brings awareness that feelings are not just in our heads, they're actually in our bodies and they're stored there. So just recapping again, like through the self-awareness piece, asking questions, a lot of self-reflection, and also becoming aware that emotions live in our bodies as well. And thinking about how was my childhood? was this like? What would I like to keep? What do I not want to keep? And I think that it's an ongoing process as we move in relationship with our children. It's not a linear process. It keeps going and going. (laughs) Yeah. And then you mentioned this other thing, like what we want to keep and what we don't want to keep. I think that's important. Yeah. Can you expand a little bit of what you meant with that? Yeah, I think that sometimes we can hold both pieces of our experiences in early childhood. Maybe we didn't appreciate that we were yelled at or humiliated uh, or words that were not kind to us. But we really enjoyed memories with, you know, family trips that we had or customs or values that we really held that were really present. So it's not completely doing away with everything in our childhood, but also maintaining those pieces that brought joy or peace um, yeah. in, for us. And what about the people, because this is something that I see in my practice, the people that have no idea how to, especially when they receive either physical, but also emotional abuse, because I see usually those two kind of intertwine, but changing the way of their inner voice, inner talk, and finding ways to talk to that inner child or inner adult or just that 
inner yeah. person <laughs> in a yeah. different way when they never receive, let's say, or for the most part, appropriate ways of referring to themselves. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point too. I think that I started seeing around, started looking for like positive affirmations and rereading them. And I would even have to put them on a sticky note mm. and to begin to think about that. So once the self-awareness and reflection starts appearing and you're asking a lot of questions, you will realize that there's pieces that will come up or experiences that will be brought back to you, memories. And then in those instances, it's really important what I also share a lot with my parents is to say like, I'm here, I'm safe, regaining your power back from being a little child to now grown individual. So a lot of the, you know, self-talk that I, or pieces that I hold or affirmations, I am safe, I'm here, I belong, um, I'm enough, which is a lot of the pieces that parents will say, I don't feel enough. I don't feel like I'm doing enough for myself or for my child. So the self-talk is really hard when we didn't receive positive language. So I often say like, look, let's look something up together. Let's find positive affirmations that will hope that new words and new language. And usually with you're seeing a therapist or if you're seeing uh, even a parent coach or someone who's working with you, the modeling comes from them too and how the language shifts, right? So we're learning from that. Any resources or book that you usually recommend your clients or... A lot. I recommend a lot of it. <laughs> we have a lot. Um, but the one that comes up is from uh, Dr. Dan Siegel. Mm. And that would be beginning to do a lot of inner work is um, Parenting from the Inside Out. Yeah. And that's a big, big book that I recommend, as well as like The Whole Brain Child, which is more of a practical book that talks about brain development and understanding our brain and how it copes. And I think that book really for me was a, a shift because it made me aware of where I was in my brain and how dysregulated and what trauma does to, to us. Mm. Yeah, I think The Awaken, Dr. Shivali is also really great. Can't really think of her book right now. Do you know what her book is? I don't know that yeah. one. I know dance, but yeah. They, Let me see. Yeah. Dr. Shivali. Now, now I feel like I'm intrigued, like I need to know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, The Awakened Family. Okay. And the conscious parent, okay. transforming ourselves, empowering our families. That's a good one by her. She's yeah. really great. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is important is, like you mentioned, a lot of the reparenting tends to happen or people start getting awakened when they have their own children. And at the same time, it tends to be hard because they're getting triggered or most likely triggered by yeah. their own children. So is there any way that you kind of help your clients with that when they're getting triggered, but at the same time trying to do this work of reparenting themselves? Yeah, I suggest two pieces. One is narrating the experience for yourself. So something that I say when I'm becoming, and triggering can mean, it could be anything. It could be a sound, right. it could be a noise, it could be um, sound, smell, sight, anything that can trigger our five senses. And what I share is a lot of grounding techniques. So before that happens or before the triggering event happens, I pack my parents' self-regulation tools. So what can we have in the space? Blowing bubbles, water is a big one for parents. So I, I advise them, put your hands underneath cold water. It's the easiest if we're staying at home with our children, immediately go to a tap and open the water. And there's something about water that helps us regulate. But I think the 
the practice comes in knowing what is going to bring you back to the present. Because when we're triggered, we're not in the present moment. We're back to being five, six, seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And so I think that that's important to name. And as well as going back to the narration, I always tell myself, this is a phase. This is not personal. This is not about you right now. You are safe. This is this is just the stage. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, you know, now with my two and a half year old, there's a lot of like talk and really knows a lot of knows, and I want to do a lot of need for autonomy. Okay. And so I have to remember they're not being disobedient. They're not being bad children. They really don't want to trigger us. Children really want to bring joy to us, and I think they're yes. really willing and flexible to. To tend to us, they want to be connected to us. They don't come into this world wanting to cause a reaction for us. Yes, I completely agree. And I like that idea. Even like, you know, it's so important how research talks that children regulate by that co-regulation and you can even practice it. And yeah, I like the cold water. I usually also say like ice. And that's my... Oh, yeah. I see mm-hmm. like in the neck or in the forearms. Yeah. But that's more oh, like that's if they're good. about to go into a panic attack, that's my go-to if they call me. But, but yeah, I like the cold water. And um, I also like the pushing of the wall. My son likes that. And we both do it at the same time because I'm also dysregulated usually when he gets like that. But the blowing of the bubbles, yes. Is, and, yeah. And water. And play- yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But know. also Play-Doh. Oh, yeah. I, I carry Play-Doh sometimes in my pocket when I'm having a hard time um, just because it's so accessible. And it's also yeah. like at this age for him, for my son, as he's two and a half, he's, I, it can feel like also a game. <laughs> so I can give half to him and half for me. And I'm like, mom is just self-regulating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't think of packing Play-Doh. That's a good one, too. Yeah, so like sensory things is like what you're kind of describing, like water, Play-Doh, yeah. Something that I wanted to add is that we talk about self-regulation backpacks. So putting in there anything, I advise two. I advise one to put in your car and one to keep with you at home that has tools that support you and your child. And it's be a great, sort of like a great activity for you to also learn from your child what helps calm or bring them or soothe them. Yeah. So that you do, so like you mentioned earlier, the co-regulation. Yeah. Um, so something that I always say: pack a snack, gum, water, um, squishy toys from like the dollar store. Yeah. Things in there that you can have accessible, so that when you are having a hard moment, those tools are readily available to you. This is a practice. It's hard to get yes. to, yeah. and it's also really normal to be triggered. Yeah. It's really normal. You're not a bad parent for being triggered or having these experiences part of the parenting journey and you're not alone in that that is so important because a lot of the parents that I work or even myself when I experience and then I'm I'm the psychologist I'm like oh my god I feel like the worst but is that whole aspect of that compassion that I'm not alone it's a journey and I think what also has helped in my journey is sharing with other moms that we're struggling at the same time that like yesterday we were at a birthday party and my son, I usually steer away from sugar because he's very active. Mm-hmm. So he already had like a piñata, you know, with a lot of candy. Mm-hmm. And when the cake time came, they cut it. And my husband goes, takes the frosting out. And I'm like, I have to take the frosting out. And he had a meltdown. And almost from Long Beach, and I live in more like West LA, almost all that drive, he was 
crying about, but you took the frosting away. You took the frosting away and you put it in the trash. So I let him and later on, I'm like, okay, do you want to take some breath? And he took the breath. And then this morning he was still talking about the frosting and just, you know, just allowing that. He still has that own process of learning. But yes, I wish I would have had the backpack because in that moment he was in the car seat. I could have given him a little Play-Doh and a Play-Doh for mom and dad because we were like, oh my God, we're oh. into this. But yes, I love that mm. idea. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You were probably like, darn, I should have just left the frosting. <laughs> no, I about that. I'm like, oh my God, if I would have known. No, yeah, that was the... But that's the balance aspect. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that's another thing that a lot of my parents struggle. And my journey was that I felt like I wanted to be the over giving. So until a therapist kind of like, um, what about the boundaries? I'm like, what do you mean with boundaries? And yes, because my mom is that kind of like the over the traditional Latina over giving mom that is so like no self-care kind of that mode. So with my son, it was so hard to start implementing boundaries and now I'm much better being okay with it but a lot of my parents that the ones that I work with also struggle with setting some boundaries and how to set it in a way that is not repetitive of how their parents used to set it probably was like with hitting or screaming so it's another kind of interesting hard thing to deal yeah yeah it's definitely a challenge I struggle too with setting boundaries for myself and for my son and I also was brought up with my mother being a wonderful human and woman, but she was also an overgiver and was like, once you have a child, you give all to that child. And that has been really hard to begin to deconstruct and move away from, but setting limits for our children is another topic, right? And another. Yeah, that one is like a a huge, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as we're moving kind of in the closing, any last remarks or information or thoughts? Yeah, I'd like to just share that despite us knowing around early childhood experiences, sometimes we forget to talk about resiliency and that we're here and that we're present and we're doing this every day, as hard as it is, as hard as it may be, whether we're parenting or whether we're just trying to get through our trauma in in our everyday life. So I also want to share that, that before we, before we leave, that resiliency is so important to, to acknowledge and that we we've survived and reconnecting to people who really know you or love you or care about you is one way of self-caring in that perspective and understanding that you're not alone and so whether that be people in your community or family or friends reconnecting with that and, and understanding that we as a culture have we're resilient yes thank you for bringing that because that's definitely one of the topics of the whole podcast idea yeah Oh, yes. I forgot that that was Yeah, no, but but yeah, thank you. Because I know earlier you mentioned kind of think about the things that you want to keep. So I think that's also kind of a self-reflection of the good things that happen. Because most likely at least one or two things happen. Yes. 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 Well, thank you so much, Lisette. I'm so happy that you were able to join us. And I hope the listeners are getting a lot of the information and some of the skills. And remember, the information that was provided here in terms of resources will be in the show notes. And I'm looking forward to kind of later on, maybe when the episode is out, Leslie, if she has her baby already, and and again, wishing her an amazing birth and all that. And thank you again. Thank you for- Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. If you like this episode, please make sure to review it and comment on it and share it with your friends and family. Until next time.